Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern. Amen. A certain man was sick. We all know what it's like to be sick, but this man was really sick. This was the sort of thing in which you call in the family and the doctors tell you he may not make it through the night. A certain man was sick and he had two sisters, two sisters with hearts of gold, the kind of sisters who visit their old man daily to make sure he has what he needs, the kind of sisters who ensure that their relative is personally cared for with dignity, attention, and respect. These are the kinds of sisters you want by your bedside when the doctors tell you you may not make it through the night. A certain man was sick, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. His name was Lazarus, and like I said, he really wasn't doing well. So they sent word to a man named Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much, is sick. Now, in case you haven't heard about this man, Jesus, I must tell you about him before we go any further. This man, Jesus, <laughs> well, how do I say it? He's not just any man. A couple years ago, he was at a wedding, and the wine ran out. You know how much public shame that brings to a groom's family, don't you? Now, just before the guests noticed, his mother had a few words with him. Jesus, in turn, had a few words with the guys in the back. And before you know it, 150 gallons of water have turned into wine. Friends, that's 750 bottles. <laughs> no one knows how he did it. But like I said, this man, Jesus, is not just any man. So when the two sisters with the hearts of gold send word to Jesus, they expect something of him. They love their brother Lazarus. They can't imagine life without him. So they summoned Jesus, hoping he, hoping he would do something like he did at the wedding. It's out of the doctor's hands, they've been told. But this Jesus, not just any doctor, some say he's the great physician. Just a couple months ago, the word around town was that he actually healed a man born blind. Now ever since the wedding, I knew this wasn't just any man, but honestly, I didn't believe it when I heard it. No one had ever healed like this before. It was, it was the unthinkable miracle. It took the testimony of his parents to convince me. Same is true for the rest. We know he is our son, they said, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he now sees. <laughs> so, where was I? The two sisters... <laughs> Like I said, their brother Lazarus is sick. He's really sick. He's calling the family from out of town sick. So they summon Jesus, who deeply and personally loves Lazarus. They summon Jesus because more than anyone else, Jesus is the one you want at your bedside when you're dying. But after he's summoned, he doesn't show up. At least not in time. Lazarus dies. To be fair, Jesus had his reasons. We don't know what they were. He doesn't tell us exactly, but his disciples report exactly what he said after he was summoned. This sickness is not fatal, Jesus said. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. At the time, no one had any idea what he meant. 
But everyone knew that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loved them with a deep personal love. No one doubted the fact. That's why his absence was so shocking when Lazarus died. Now let me tell you what happened when Jesus finally shows up. I don't want to get any of the details wrong, so I'm going to read aloud the report from John, one of Jesus' closest companions. This report has been verified by the community of eyewitnesses everywhere. It is trustworthy and true. Here's what happened. John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Now, he hadn't entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who were with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So... <laughs> They removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this 
on behalf of those standing here, that they might believe that you have sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and a face covered his cloth. And Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. I'm tempted to let the word stand on its own and get on with our service. Perhaps a few of you wouldn't mind shorter sermons after all. (laughs) But I feel obliged to make at least a few connection points between this story and the story of our own lives, even the events of the past week. So let's start with our need. We need cared for personally. Just as much as Mary and Martha needed cared for in their grief, so do we. We may not like to admit it. (laughs) The men in the room may have an even harder time admitting it. What do you mean I need cared for? I can take care of myself, thank you very much. But it's not true. It's an illusion. Sure, we can take care of ourselves for a little while until we can't. When we buy into this lie that we are self-sufficient, that I am fine on my own, that I can take care of myself, thank you very much, what happens, for one, is that we find ourselves unable to age graciously. Do you know anyone who has grown more and more bitter and angry with age? In part, I think it's because they have bought into the lie, the lie that we can take care of ourselves in all matters of our lives, but then we can't. And when we can't, we don't know what to do. We're shattered by the pain of growing weak, vulnerable, and needy. Truth is, it's not just as we age, and it's not just in grief. Truth is, we are always needy. At every age and at every stage, we are in need of deep personal care and nurture and support. God has made us like this. We are dependent and interdependent creatures, and we must depend on other creatures, and ultimately, we must depend on our Creator. So while our need is, is, is more obvious at the bookends of our lives, don't be mistaken. Our need is always there. In our scripture text, Lazarus, we know, is needy, both physically and emotionally. But Mary and Martha, it appears, are still in their prime. In terms of physical health, they are doing quite well. Like all who are healthy, young, and strong, it is tempting for them to think that they can get along just fine on their own. But these two sisters know better. Perhaps it was their grief that helped them overcome the lie. Their brother is dying, and they don't have the resources to fix it. They know that what they need is none other than the power, presence, and personal love of Jesus. So what about you? Have you discovered the secret yet? The older you are, the more likely you're aware of it. 
So young people, listen up. Let us learn from their experience. The secret is that we are all needy at every age and every stage, but in different ways. Each and every one of us needs deep personal care and support and help and strength. I know it sounds weak to admit it, especially, again, for us men, given the unhelpful culture of masculinity. But admitting it is the first move we must make toward accepting the good news of Jesus as Savior. We cannot have a Savior if we don't admit that we need saving. So the first move is to admit it. We need help. We need cared for. If we want to live well, we must admit our need for the power, presence, and personal love of Jesus in our lives. I invite you to repeat this prayer after me right now. Lord God, we are needy. We need your power, presence, and personal love. Come, Lord Jesus. Visit us with your saving help. This is the prayer of Mary and Martha, presumably of Lazarus too, if he were well enough to speak. So the sisters send word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. How does Jesus respond to their need? At first, Jesus disappoints them. It sounds wrong to say, it really does, but that's how the story goes. Mary and Martha call out to Jesus, Lord, we need you here and now. Our brother is dying. But Jesus delays, and we're not told why. Have you ever been there? Have you experienced what Mary and Martha experienced during the handful of days prior to Jesus' arrival? Jesus is absent. Jesus delays. Jesus doesn't show up, at least not on time, not until it seems too late. Have you been there? For those who have gone through it, it feels like God is absent. Lord, if only you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if only you had been here before the cancer progressed. Lord, if only you had been here before the accident. Lord, if only you had been here before a troubled young man entered the hallways of Douglas High in Parkland, Florida. Where was Jesus in the horrific Florida shootings on Ash Wednesday? We're not told why Jesus doesn't show up before the funeral of Lazarus. We're only told what Jesus would do after the funeral. The sickness is not fatal, Jesus said. It will become an occasion for God's glory by glorifying God's Son. But it was fatal. At least that's how it appeared to everyone besides Jesus. Lazarus was dead. There was no mistake about it. The funeral service was already underway. Lazarus was in his grave, dressed up like a mummy, his body rotting away, and it smelled terrible. All of this before Jesus ever shows up. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Both Martha and Mary used this same line. Did you catch that? Verse 21 and 32. 
I can't help but wonder if this is the line the family had discussed prior to Jesus' arrival. You know, when the family is gathered in the living room following a death, and they're making meaning of it, sharing stories, solidifying memories. It, it looks like the memory that had been solidified in their mind following the death of Lazarus was this. If only the Lord had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. So that's the first thing Martha and Mary both say to Jesus. Of course, it's with respect, but it's also with disappointment. Lord, if you had been here, we wouldn't be here at the funeral of Lazarus. Now, many pastors walking into this situation would not handle it well. <laughs> we would quickly get defensive and guarded and tense up, perhaps go quiet, perhaps get angry. But not Jesus. What does Jesus, the good shepherd, do when he's blamed? When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. When we are blamed, we get defensive. When Jesus is blamed, he looks into the heart of the person, and he's deeply disturbed and troubled by the deep emotional pain that he sees. Jesus identifies with Mary and Martha's inner pain, and he weeps. What this means for us is that if we're brave enough to let God into our brokenness, if we admit the extent to which we need saving, if we confess how much we need cared for personally, Jesus will be there, gazing into our heart with both perception and affection. Jesus will be there identifying with our inner pain. Jesus will be there weeping. And even if our true feelings slip out, and we wrongly blame God for the evil and the grief that has come upon us, even still, God will not get defensive. God responds to such blaming by looking into our heart, empathizing with our pain, taking the feelings of our heart into his heart, and weeping. That is precisely the God we see in Jesus in our scripture text for today. Ultimately, it's the God we see in Jesus as he endures the world's suffering in his death on the cross. Friends, do you believe it? Do you know the truth that Jesus deeply cares for you, personally, by name, just as much as he cared by name for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Yes, God's love is cosmic, but it's not only cosmic. For God so loved the world, but it's equally true that God so loved you, personally, that he sent his one and only son. God's love is as large as the galaxies, and God's love is as personal as it gets. We're reminded of this intense, personal, individualized nature of Jesus' love five times throughout John 11. Verse 3, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. 
Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Verse 32, when Jesus saw Mary crying, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And verse 36, the Jew said, see how much he loved him. Friends, that same intense personal love of Jesus is directed to you as well. I pray you have the courage to believe it. Jesus deeply cares for you in the same way, and it's a personal care that we all so desperately need. Jesus desires to bring into your life his personal love. But not only that, Jesus also desires to bring into your life his power and presence. It's true, this power and presence did not come when Mary and Martha wanted it to come. At least they did not experience it as such. But the power and presence of Jesus certainly came eventually, didn't it? The same is often true in our experience as well. In this present dark age, we may not experience the power of Jesus as we'd wish, the healing we want, the reconciliation we want, but we might. But whatever the case, eventually, my friends, eventually, we will see God's power, God's glory, God's personal love. And it will be both exhilarating and comforting. I pray by God's grace we get a glimpse of this even now during our short lives. Lord, rain down your power, presence, and personal love on each person listening today. So we circle back to what happened on Ash Wednesday. Where was Jesus in the horrific Florida shootings? Jesus was and is deeply disturbed and troubled. Jesus was and is weeping. Jesus was and is personally taking care of those who experienced this tragedy. After all, Jesus knows what it's like to be a victim. Jesus also perceives the source of this tragedy in ways that we sometimes miss. Friends, make no mistake about it. The one who inspires the murderous act of mass shootings is the same one who inspired Judas Iscariot to initiate the murder of Jesus. Call him the enemy. Call him Satan. Call him the evil one. Call him the devil. Call him whatever you'd like. We're scared to admit it, and sometimes we're think, we think we're too smart to believe it. But make no mistake about it. There is a war raging, and it's not the one we think. It's not a war between flesh and blood, between people of one political preference against people of another. No, rather, according to St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, God's children are at war against rulers, authorities, and forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. That is our enemy. That is the origin of this evil. Jesus saw it in his betrayer, and he's seen it in every betrayer ever since. So then how do we respond to the tragedy in Florida? First, we weep with Jesus. 
We allow ourselves to feel what the victims felt. We don't hide ourselves from discomfort or deep distress. Like Jesus, we look into Mary's face and we become deeply distressed and troubled. And we weep. That's our first response. But it's not our last response. After we have wept, here's what we do according to St. Paul. We pick up the full armor of God against the devil, against hate, and against violence of all kinds. We clothe ourselves in the full armor of God, taking up not the weapons of the world, but the weapons of righteousness, so that we can stand our ground on the day of evil. Let us stand with the belt of truth around our waist, justice as our breastplate, and let us put gospel shoes on our feet so that we are ready to spread the good news of peace to all people. Above all, Paul advises us, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, Offer prayer and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. This is Paul's advice to us in response. Friends, death is real. Jesus does not deny this. Scripture acknowledges it over and over again. Death is real, but death is not final. Lazarus really died. Your grandmother, your husband, your father, your daughter really died. Death is real, and it's sad, and it sucks. And Jesus weeps with us in our grief, offering intense personal care and comfort, often through the gracious presence of another Christian. May we who have the Spirit of Jesus in us offer that same personal care and comfort to others because death is real. But death is not final. Death is not the end. Not for Lazarus, not for your loved ones in Christ, and not for you and I. So there is no need to fear death. There is no need to fear a point in time when you will cease to exist. In Christ, we will always exist I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus declares. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Jesus asks. Friends, all who put their trust in Jesus will not taste death, for Christ drank the full cup of wrath for us. Therefore, let's all be clear. All who believe this good news shall one day hear those same powerful words of Jesus once more, but this time it's personal. Lazarus, come out, untie him, and let him go. One story in closing. You know who I think heard these words of Jesus last Wednesday? I think a guy by the name of Aaron Faze heard these words after being shot and killed in Douglas High School. Aaron, come out. You may have heard of his heroic efforts on the news, but no one bothered to tell you that he was a Christian, a brother in Christ. It's true. Rarely does one become a hero without the hero himself, Jesus Christ, working through him. With Aaron, 
when Aaron was a teenager, he recognized his need for a savior. A very active member in the youth group of New Covenant Church in Pompano Beach, Aaron devoted his life to following Jesus. Now, I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but he was a man in whom God placed his spirit. He was a Christian. And the claim I want to make today is this. Where was Jesus during the shootings? Jesus was present in power through Christians like Aaron, rescuing others from the enemy. If you didn't hear the story, Aaron was a 37-year-old husband and father of a little one. He was the assistant football coach at the school that he had graduated from. He was committed to the school's flourishing, the school's well-being, the school's shalom. So along with his role as a coach, he was also the school's security guard. This fact is not incidental to his Christian faith, I want to argue, but it's because of it. So when the shooter entered the school, which was like his second home, and started shooting at students, which were like his kids, he naturally did what Jesus did. He laid down his life for the sheep. That's what Aaron Faze did on Ash Wednesday. On a day when we at Heartland gathered together to remember the good shepherd at our service, Aaron was living it. Reports say that when Aaron heard the gunshots, he ran toward them and selflessly shielded three girls from gunfire. In the process, he himself was shot and killed. Friends, make no mistake about it. This act of sacrifice was not incidental to his Christian faith, but because of it. I have no doubt that Aaron did this in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit out of Christian love. Living within him was the Spirit of Jesus who taught There is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He died the same way he lived. He put himself second, one said. But friends, we know what some of the eyewitnesses don't, at least not yet. We know that even though Aaron's death is real and it's sad and it sucks, especially as we think of his wife and his daughter, even though all this is true, We also know that death is not final. Death does not have the last word. This death isn't fatal, as Jesus says of Lazarus. This death isn't fatal. There's more. There's more to the story. Even now, I have to believe that Jesus Christ is personally caring for Aaron and those like him who died in the Lord last Ash Wednesday. They are receiving, even now, the power presence, and personal love of Jesus, the abounding, overflowing, altogether consuming love of God. And that's my prayer for us as well as we go on in life. Whether in life or in death, may we receive this same power, presence, and personal love of Jesus. By the grace of God's saving help and the Spirit within us, may we go out into the world and share Christ's power, presence, and personal love. Let's be sure to include at least a few others who aren't Christians in our reach. A few others who know nothing yet of the true hero, Jesus Christ, but who, through our sacrificial witness, might just come to experience the saving help of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus, and come soon. Amen.